This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <sighs> that wasn't great, was it? City wrap up their pre-World Cup campaign with a frustrating defeat at home to Brentford. We're here to hopefully bring some light to the situation and ask Charlie for next week's lottery numbers. It's Monday the 14th of November. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam I'm, Booker. Oh shit! Sorry, we forgot. We forgot. <laughs> there is a forgot fucking hierarchy here, Charlie. There is a hierarchy. Before the last he gets episode. one prediction right, and in. <laughs> I am bottom of the pecking order, but yeah. But last time we we predetermined who would go first, and it went silent, and I panicked. <laughs> Sorry, lads. I just want to point out I'm keeping all of this in the in the podcast. I'm not editing editing this out. So just just go on, Amos. I didn't even say my name yet, though. And I'm Charlie Gordon. And this is the City Report podcast. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Start a Manchester City podcast, they said. Make daily episodes, they said. It will be fun, they said. Well, Adam, where do we begin after that? Uh, God, I don't know. Um, it was just one of those days. I mean, it's, it's tough the, the day after, but it, it ha- kind of happens every single season, doesn't it? So it's, mm-hmm. you kind of have to just move on from it. I think the, I haven't decided yet whether or not the world cup break is a good thing because it's a, a time to reset or if mm-hmm. it means we're just going to sit and stew in Ivan Tony's winner yesterday for the next the next month or so so i haven't quite decided yet if the break is a good thing but yeah it wasn't fantastic by any means i I know what you're saying i was contemplating the same sort of thing after full time going i'm i think i think city need a break of some kind because that result was coming for a while um going back all the way to brighton game at home that second half from brighton you know were, were more than worthy of a point and 
it could have happened last weekend, couldn't it, against Fulham? It quite easily could have happened and possibly should have happened against Fulham. So it, it wasn't a big surprise. I was there in the stadium going, even when City were pushing for a winner, it never felt like it was going to arrive in the same sort of way it did against Fulham. It, it felt like the only results possible were, were a draw and a Brentford win. Obviously, the the, the latter came true. But um, Charlie, before we go on, let, let's reflect on Friday's show, in particular, your prediction. Because for those who didn't listen to Friday's, you heard it here first. Um, I'll roll the clip, and we can just we can we can return afterwards with our our amazement, absolutely startling. Um, so yeah, have a listen to this. Someone that got snubbed from the England World Cup squad is going to score at least a brace. That's two goals this weekend, and they're going to direct a celebration towards Gareth Southgate, right? <laughs> um, Charlie, can on your on the show right now, can you predict England to win the World Cup, Phil Foden to score a winning goal, and everybody in the country to be given fifty grand's worth of, of free money? Is that something? I, I would love that. To, I would love to do that, but I've got integrity to maintain. You know, <laughs> I really did have a vision. I don't. I'm, I don't want to come on here and brag. You know, the day after uh, we've just been heartbreakingly defeated at home to Brentford. But yeah, I just had a feeling. I, I, I was hoping it wasn't Ivan Tony to make my prediction come true. I was more looking at someone like, um, you know, Ollie Watkins. Danny Ings scored two today, actually, but he he unfortunately didn't roar like a lion, which is I know what you were hoping for. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, what can I say? What can I say? Mm, I know. Yeah, it was it was incredible because I'll take you back actually to that moment you you came out of it. I could see the goal or a goal scorer and I could see a snubbed celebration and which we'll get to that. There's, there's a little bit of an asterisk. I'm sure Adam's waiting to pounce, but I couldn't see the brace. And I thought that was going to be the bit that let you down. I thought you have come on day one of your prediction and gone <laughs> ballsy to the extreme saying a brace, not just one goal and a, and a snub celebration, an actual, an actual brace. And then what lo and behold, 95th minute, whatever it was, Ivan Tony pops up, gets the second of two. Um, but Adam, the celebration, are we giving it to Charlie? I mean, we have to, don't we? But you stuck a tweet out in response to the the clamour, let's put it that way, from the City Report podcast listeners who were who were after um, the seal of approval. But you reckon there's a little bit more to this than than first meets the eye? Well, I, I just was... I had the feeling that I'd seen him do that celebration before, the, the shutting his ears celebration, um, which I found to be true. Um, but I do think in this instance it was. So I'm backtracking from my tweets yesterday, which, by the way, yeah, I'm going to put my uh, an official statement here from from the company. <laughs> Communicado official. It was a it was 4 a.m. The game wasn't going well. I had a rough day. I had a rough rough morning. All right. So apologies for everybody that I bickered with and everybody that I was not very nice to. Um, but I think in this, I think in this case, it was a shot at Southgate. He he posted a picture of him. Ivan Tony did uh, celeb- doing the celebration on Instagram with no caption, and all the comments, you know, no no comment needed. A bunch of tel- telephone emojis. So I, I mm. think, I think I'm feeling like it. It, it probably came true. Mm. Yeah, I'm still in shock that you've just given an apology on on a podcast like David De Gea or, or Jaden Sancho or something like that. That's incredible. Well, yeah, Charlie, is that vindication enough for you? I think so. Yeah, I, I also saw the Instagram post. Reese James was one of the people to comment on it. Another person to be snubbed from the England squad. He put something like, "If I speak, I'm in big trouble." 
Um, <laughs> and the thing is as well, Tony's done that celebration before, but he's no stranger to a controversial story. You know, he's mm. normally talking mm. smack about Brentford in some way or another. Um, so he probably has to bring that fingers in the ears one out on a, on a semi-regular basis. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I'll take the W. I'll take the W, guys. At least someone got a W this weekend. Um, mm. I'm still waiting. By, well, at, at the time of recording, I know this is going out on Monday, so we'll know by then. But I'm still waking, waiting to see if it's back-to-back prediction wins for me. I'm, I think I've taken it to the last game for my one, so we'll, we'll see later on in the week. But um, let's try and break down what went wrong then, Adam, because it, it felt like the perfect time to play City pre-match, didn't it? And I know we didn't really mention this on, on the preview show, but with the World Cup in mind, and, and I know it, it may not all be down to that, but players would have, have had their minds elsewhere and Brentford are a difficult opponent at the best of times and then you throw into the mix that you've got a, an Ivan Tony who's had a fantastic season obviously on the back of a really strange story which for some quasi-legal reasons we're not exactly sure if we can mention but you know the, the stories are out there he comes in with a point to prove um, and, and from the first whistle it felt like City's players minds were, were elsewhere and their attention had already switched towards the World Cup before a ball was even kicked. Yeah, I mean, I think the World Cup angle plays into it a bit, but let's not forget to mention that this is an annual event. You know, last season it was, <laughs> I believe, Palace at home. Uh, the season before that, it was Leeds at home. The season before that, mm-hmm. it was Wolves at home. So th- this happens every single season where some team from the lower half of the table comes in, they don't have any possession, and they they win 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, whatever it is. Um, for me, I think that there is still just such a flaw in the way that City are playing right now on a weekly basis. This this wasn't, and I want to give Brentford tons of credit here because I thought they played the perfect game to beat City. They were super physical with Holland, kept him basically silent the whole game, um, mm. and they were fantastic on the counter attack. And that's exactly how you exploit all of City's flaws. Um, but. Look, I, I don't want to harp on and on and on about this, but I'm going to as long as it continues to be an issue. The hybrid back three with no overlap, with no width. There was times at the end when when City were going for the winner late in the game, and Pep kept pushing his hands out like this, trying to get the team to play wider and wider and wider. Mm. But who is there to go wide? John Stones isn't going to provide mm. it. Cancelo's not going to provide it on the left. So it's just stale it's so stale and when you have a game like this where a, a moments of individual brilliance don't happen and look i was mocked on this podcast maybe two weeks ago about how i said eventually the moments of individual brilliance will run out and with the fact that the system isn't winning games right now city will be punished for it and that's exactly what happened are you asking for an apology now? Is that what <laughs> what you're looking for? <laughs> there's, there's not going to be a double apology on this show, no way. But I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, one of those games, yeah, is a, is there a deeper problem? Probably. It, it, I, I'm sick of seeing centre backs pretend to play right back. It, it's getting it's getting frustrating to the max. It's getting it's getting a little bit sickening. You, you know, when, when you see someone like John Stones or Manuel Manuel Kanji in previous weeks trying to bomb down the wing with the sort of the guile of a fifty five year old dad playing against a, a group of teenagers, it's really starting to to get annoying to be honest. And I know the, the options are, are extremely limited and, and I suppose that's on City in the transfer market and we'll wait to see if if um, there's any movement there in January but going back to it Charlie the, the, the vibe was off 
quite a little bit. I think sort of the first minute or two, Brentford had a chance. Edison had to smother, and and from that moment on, really, up until the Brentford goal, it was all Brentford. Then, of course, they scored and sat back and invited the pressure from City. But even then, they were they were looking to pick City off on the break. And I saw somewhere that that City conceded in the Brentford game six chances over zero point two xg on Saturday. Prior to that all season, City had, had conceded 10 altogether in all of their matches across all competitions. So there was definitely something off. And, and whether or not it was the back three, quasi-back three, whatever you want to call it, whether or not it was the World Cup, it just wasn't right. Yeah, it wasn't a very fluid performance at all. I think too many individuals just had off days as well, especially in the mm. first half. It was only really Kevin De Bruyne that you felt could spark something from nothing. And that's exactly what City needed in the first half because... As you've mentioned, it wasn't a particularly cohesive system, you know, the way things were working out. Um, but you, I'm with Adam. You can't take anything away from Brentford. Only 25% possession uh, is barely anything, but they had to execute their game plan perfectly to beat City. Mm. And what they did is they just made sure that all their chances were good quality chances. And all games, City were struggling to create good quality chances. Um, you know, mm. if you if you give Haaland half a sniff of goal, he's going to score at least one. Uh, but, you know, City were relying too much on De Bruyne. The other creators just didn't really turn up against Brentford. Uh, and Brentford basically executed their game plan, plan perfectly uh, to punish City, who, like you say, were completely off colour on Saturday. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? You mentioned Haaland there. Um, just the one shot for him. And and he was a player who didn't look look at it for, for obvious reasons. He's been out injured for a couple of weeks and, and it felt like a game where he probably should have sat out. But given the proximity to the World Cup, given it was the last game, you thought maybe maybe give him a go. But he had a, he had a combined XG of 0.03 from his one shot, which sort of illustrates exactly the problem City were, were suffering with. Um, Adam, I want I want to ask you, and I don't know if this is where we got our heads bitten off, but... I want to ask you about penalties because they were a topic in the first half and obviously City scored after the three or four incidents it was in that sort of minute and a half spell. Do you think any of them should have been awarded? Do you think City had a case that perhaps some on a different day would have been awarded or do you think straight up none of them were were penalties in any way, shape or form? So I think there was four incidents, right? There's the Bernardo handball on the edge of the box. Um mm. I think that one is just so difficult to call. I think I think either outcome you're happy with because it was so, so close on that, whether it was on the line mm-hmm. or not. Um, the De Bruyne and Holland incidents immediately after that, both dives, just straight up. They, there was mm-hmm. nothing in them. Um, the fourth one was where Laporte was rugby tackled. Interestingly, I didn't see that on the broadcast. I was writing a match report at the time. I guess I must have been looking down or they just didn't show it on the U.S. broadcast. Mm. Um, but I didn't see it in real time. Going back and seeing that now, that's one that probably should have been looked at. But that's kind of been a thing in football forever is those tackles, those skirmishes on set pieces that just don't get called. Um, mm. There, there is a, There's a penalty in American football called holding when a player blocking a defensive player to make room for the ball carrier holds on to their jersey and doesn't let them go. And they say that on every single play, there's like four or five instances of holding. But because the pack is so bunched together, none of it gets called. Mm. And that's kind of how I feel about those tackles in the box. Um, there's constantly contact like that in the box. But I, I do think that one should have been looked at. 
Um, mm. But all of the ones in which City players went down under very small amounts of contact, I was perfectly happy with them not being given. Were they Had they been given against City, had it been Brentford players going down like that, um, there would have been uproar. So I, I, you know, I watch, try to watch these games from a fair and balanced point, even though I am supporting one side. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I think probably the only one in there was the Laporte one. Yeah, to be honest, I, I tend to agree. I, I haven't actually seen the Haaland one back, and I don't think there was much of an appeal um, at the time. I think the De Bruyne reaction tells you everything you need to know about that. He gets up and carries on. I would be inclined to say the Bernardo handball looked to be in the box. You know, there's no sort of definitive conclusion on that. He's, you, you can't say yes or no, but for, from my interpretation, the way I saw it was, I can't remember which defender it was, but their, their legs sort of were just in front of the line and their body was considerably leaning backwards. Hence, the the arm would be behind the legs. And it looked at best on the line, which I believe would constitute as um, a penalty. And then, and then the Laporte one, again, I, I didn't see it sort of, at the time and it was only on on a replay and I guess the argument is if if you do that and and City had scored from it if it was Laporte holding and he'd have scored from the header having thrown the defender down the the goal gets chopped out Um, Charlie I don't know how you interpreted them if you you agree with the sort of what what we've been saying or or if you thought that uh, Brentford were were perhaps a little bit lucky not to have conceded at least one Yeah I'm I'm with Adam in the the Harlem one the De Bruyne one they get immediately discarded uh, nothing really in mm. those. I think the Laporte one, I didn't get a good look at that, but um, they. it sounds like the kind of one where, you know, officials want to let that kind of thing slide every now and then because they don't want to be given 10 penalties a game. It's the kind yeah. of thing that does happen a lot. Uh, the one that did stick out to me was Rico Henry, uh, who was the Brentford player who handballed, uh, you know, mm. when uh, Bernardo Silva flicked it past him. I was already celebrating. when they were When they were showing the... Their VAR replay of the handball. I was like convinced that it, that it was at least yeah. on the line. Um, so I was very surprised when that didn't get given. But it's understandable why it didn't get given because they couldn't give a one hundred percent conclusion uh, mm. due to the angles that VAR had available to them. So I think City did get unlucky in that instance. But like I say, I can understand why they didn't overturn the decision. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're fair there. Um, Go back to sort of using using the cricket example. I've, I've said it before. You have umpire's call, which is essentially if the the decision is that tight, you can't overturn it. You stick with the on field referee. And I've said I'd be in favour of that in the past. So I guess I have to say it now when it hasn't ruled in City's favour. But you know, it, it's for me, it's another sort of example of of difficult Premier League refereeing. And in in the stadium, we were not privy to any sort of replays. Which I had someone quite vociferously on Twitter telling me it was the right thing because it would just incite referee abuse. But but my argument was that if, if people don't know what's wrong with it, if if the penalty was that clear of a dive, show it on the on the TV or on the big screen or whatever, and people go, yeah, you know, fair enough, right decision. But hey-ho, it, it, it's uh, water under the bridge, so to speak. Um, final sort of talk, talking point from part one before we move on to our ratings quiz. Substitutions, because yet again, post-match, they were a massive talking point. Just the one change during the game, from Guardiola, that being Julian Alvarez in the 85th minute. So I have to say in, in previous matches, I have felt when Guardiola hasn't done substitutions that it has sometimes been the right decision. Obviously, in retrospect, you go, okay, the goal, the game finished 0-0 as it did at Crystal Palace away last season, which is one that sticks out. And you go, yeah, fair enough. 
you could say you could change it and something might happen. But at, in the moment, City in those situations have been knocking on the door and looking like scoring. However, against Brentford, it, it, I, I've not quite seen Guardiola as absent during a game, Adam. It felt like when decisions were there to be made by the manager, it was. I'm not going to say cowering away because you know that would never be a, a, an adjective I used to describe Guardiola. But it, it felt like a manager who we'd never seen before. And I think some were were going to the extreme saying it's his worst ever performance as City boss. I'm not quite sure if I'd go that far, but City weren't creating anything at all. I, know, I mentioned Harlan's stats before: one shot, zero point zero three xg. There, he's your main man. If he's not. If he's not getting involved, there's literally no point in having him on the pitch. As we've seen numerous times, he's not going to get a lot of touches. I just couldn't believe why there weren't any changes. That, on the surface, being said, I guess the counter-argument is the way Brentford set up didn't really lend itself to, to much space being available for the changes to come on. I don't know how you interpreted it. Yeah, I think this was just typical Pep for me. I don't think this mm. was anything new. Um I would say almost every single time City drop points, the calls after the game are, why wasn't there changes? You know, you go back to Palace last season, uh, Palace away, City dropped points, and, and people were screaming for substitutions the entire second half. Mm. Um, we know with Pep Guardiola that if he feels things are going right, and let's be clear that what we believe is a game plan going right and what he believes is a game plan going right are two completely different things. Mm. And I think when you look at that second half, there was about a a half hour period to 40 minute period in which Brentford didn't do all that much on the counter and City had full control of the ball. And I think that's all that Pep wants in that situation Mm. because in his eyes, he looks out and he sees Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland, Phil Foden, Jao Cancelo, and he sees enough out there that somebody's going to make something happen. We have that control We've limited Brentford until the last sort of 10 minutes in which they became dangerous again. Um, for me, I have no issue with Pep's no substitution policy when things are going well, quote unquote, things are going well. For me, I've I, I got to say, I was thinking about this this morning. I'm getting a little bit sick of some of the rotation. I think when you look at when you look at Arsenal right now, who we have to be looking up at them, you know, they're, they're five points clear going into Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a hardcore spine that is always on the pitch. You know, it's that that front six of Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, Odegaard, Thomas Partey, Granite Xhaka. Mm. Those six players, if fit, are always playing. Now, I look at this City team, and I think we all know what the best front six is, right? It's Rodri, Bernardo, Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Erling Holland. When City have had their absolute best performances this season united at home other games that those six have played so well in why why are we seeing that more why why is jack Grealish playing so well for three or four games on the spin and then the premier league rolls around and he doesn't he, he sits for 90 minutes why aren't we seeing the absolute best lineup that we've gotten the most out of all season play more i'm getting really sick of the rotation and i get it we're going into a world cup whatever whatever but i'm at a point now where the results aren't coming week in week out with the rotation so pick the team that works the best and stick with it it's 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 genuinely getting on my nerves at this point if you want to rotate and your a team and your b team or team one and team two are both getting results fine 
But if there are a certain set of players that aren't consistently getting results and putting in the best performances, don't play them. Bring them on late for 15-minute cameos, whatever. But stop playing them. Stop leaving out the players that are consistently playing the best. I mean, it feels very, very simple. But for me, that that yeah. that is the, at the heart of it for me right now is there's just so much picking and choosing of, oh, this guy played 70 minutes last week. and This week he's got to play only 30, what, whatever. Just play the players that have played the best up to this point. It feels like such a silly thing to point out, but it's starting to get on my nerves. You, you mentioned Arsenal, though. They Can't they afford to do that because they've not had as many games as City? They've been in the Europa League, but if you look at some of their team selections, six, seven, I mean, in, in fact, the entire spine you mentioned just in, in that little, in that spiel then, most of them haven't played. In fact, in, in the midweek cup game against against Brighton, which they, we, which they obviously went out of, I, I don't even think the second choice goalkeeper played. It was the third choice goalkeeper who started, which sort of explains the fact that they've had more time to rest and recover. Europa League isn't as taxing as the Champions League. Yes, City had the group done and dusted by match day five, but I, I 100% get where you're going. The, frustrate, the, the rotation is getting frustrating, but players can't play every game. But City don't have the strength in depth like they did between 2017 and 2019. That was at a time in which you could honestly hold your hands up and say there was probably 20 players, 19 players that you trusted to play in any game, in any competition. That's not the case anymore. So fine, if you want to say during the midweek, Arsenal rotated heavily and their their best 11 was fresh for the Premier League at the weekend, fine. Then City need to be doing the same thing. Jack Grealish mm-hmm. doesn't need to play a midweek Carabao Cup game. I know we all cherish the Carabao and we we love it. But if he's your best performing player in the Premier League week in, week out, don't play him midweek. Save him for the weekend because there yeah. are more important games. That used to not be the case. It used to be the case that every single game is equally important. We want to win treble after treble after treble. But that's not the case anymore because City don't have that strength and depth. Charlie, I'll, I'll bring you on in on this. I had a, a guy in the stadium behind me who was calling Pep Guardiola a narcissist for not making any substitutions. Um, do you agree with that? <laughs> um, well, I think it's obvious that Pep's philosophy is that he he's picked the best 11 that he feels is the best 11 to win the game. And obviously, it's easy to view that. If you're kind of against him, you can easily view that as he doesn't. he's not inviting criticism. He doesn't want to admit that this isn't the best 11 he doesn't want mm. to admit that he made a mistake pre-game. Um, but looking at the who City actually had on the bench, I'm trying to cut Guardiola some slack here, even though sometimes it does frustrate me. You know, if, if a game isn't going the way City need it to, you're begging for that substitution to be made. Just even as like a blind throw of the dice kind of thing, because that's better than just ramming your head into a mm. brick wall, which is what we were doing against Brentford at times. Um, but the two main attacking threats that, City had on the bench were Jack Grealish. Uh, and obviously, I love Grealish. He, he's been playing really well this season. But when you're talking about, are you going to score or create the winner? Probably not. Um, mm. Obviously, there is the argument there to say that he could create the chance that creates the winner kind of thing. But do you know what I mean? You're not you're not looking at yeah, Grealish yeah, to yeah, come yeah. up with that moment of magic on his own. And then you, the only other real established attacking threat was Riyad Mahrez, who's just not in particularly good form this season um so yeah it's a tough one it, it has frustrated me in the past when pep doesn't make substitutions 
uh, earlier on in the game. But, you know, I would, I would cut in some slack on this occasion. I think for me, this just boils down to the fact that that City have completely abandoned all of the traits that have made them good in the past two to three years. I, I, I keep banging on about this, but with City, there is obviously an immense amount of individual talent. Erling Holland, Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, the list goes on and on and on. But what this City side have been so good at is that the way that they play football, the way that they set up, the system accentuates all of those players' individuals ta- individual talents. At the moment, it's it feels like on a week-to-week basis, we're seeing the wrong players in the right system or the right system with the wrong players. You know, you look at the midweek game against Chelsea. That game was rip-roaring. It was fun. City created a ton of chances. They pinned Chelsea in for 15-20 minute stretches. Why was that? Because they went back to the principles that they've they've had essentially since Pep Guardiola came in, which was stretching the pitch, creating overloads, pinning teams deep into their corner, using the fullbacks up high to press or tucking them in to press and having the wingers press out wide. And then when you come to these Premier League games and you've got the same type of players on the pitch, but you completely abandon those principles for the control and, you know, John Stones is going down the right and, and only making kind of half forays up the pitch. You've completely abandoned all of the principles that have made you successful. And we said this after the Liverpool game, th- this is Brentford at home. And you are, again, playing in a way that, that to me, neuters the things that are good about City's attacking talent. But if you play the way that you always play, put, put an academy kid in and put, put Rico Lewis on the, on the right-hand side. I don't care because what it does is it, it makes you play the way that you play and it accentuates the players that you've signed, that you've spent money on to play a way that you play. And now we've got this sort of mismatch of, of a certain type of player playing in a system that doesn't fit any of them. And, and that's why it's relied on moments of brilliance all the way up to this point because the system mm-hmm. no longer accentuates the players that are on the pitch. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. In part two, as always, on our Monday show, we're going to be having a look at the FOTMOB ratings. Now, Charlie, it's your it's your first time on this one. You obviously went fantastically well on the prediction show, so uh, maybe you could sprinkle a little bit of magic because um, Adam hasn't performed very well in recent weeks in this segment, let's put it that way. So um, just to reiterate... In front of me, I've got the ratings from City versus Brentford on Saturday. I'm going to ask some questions in terms of what uh, FootMob rated the players. You have to sort of work together to try and figure out who those may, might be. Um, so first one first, perhaps maybe a, another easy one. We'll see. City's highest rated player. Um, Adam and Charlie, who, who do you think City's highest rated player from Saturday's game was? I've got, I've got three candidates here, Adam. But oh, Amos, 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 Amos saying that it's um, an easy one is swaying me towards either Foden because he scored or De Bruyne because he was obviously, you know, carrying us. But also I had Edison down as well because I thought he kept us in the game early, early on. Yeah, I think for me it's Foden because I think just knowing the way that the ratings work, I feel like his goal will just put him out of a... a, a ahead of a very tight pack because everybody was kind of there. So I think yeah. Foden, but I'll give you the final final shout. Yeah, yeah. Let's go Foden because it was a peach of a goal as well. We didn't we didn't even mention that. It was a delicious no. goal. So yeah, let's go Foden. Yeah. 
yeah, for, for someone who I thought was working his way into a half-time substitution. But yeah, you're spot on. Phil Foden, uh, top of the list for City with a, a true humdinger, as they say. Um, 8.1 for him, which isn't the highest rating you'll ever see. But hey-ho. Um, right, okay, same question, uh, but the opposite way around. City's lowest rated player. Now this is where it gets interesting. I've, I've got a standout candidate here, Adam. Actually, now, do you know what? I have got one player that I've put less than the others. Uh, and that's Joao Cancelo. I, de- yeah, I, that, I must admit, that was my... yeah, yeah, I missed the last few minutes of the game, but like the first half especially, nothing was coming off for him at all. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He, I don't know whether he was, was he was dire. He got a yellow card and he got subbed off in the second half. I think that's a, a recipe for the lowest score. Yeah, final answer, Bosch. Well, he was the lowest man last week for obvious reasons. This week, however, no. Um, there is there is two other players on his score and two players below him. So what does that make him? One of the sort of like bang average, I suppose, isn't it? Sort oh, of sat in fifth, fifth from bottom. So no, if, if you want to give it another go, there is um, two players below them. I wonder if you can get them both to, to reprieve that point. You can have a, a bonus point if you I mean, name the two players. Could it be Holland? Because he, he got a yellow card, which subtracts a little bit of score from you. And he essentially didn't exist. I think he had one shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, he, so he starts at six and then he gets a yellow. So yeah, I, I would imagine he's rated five point something. I did have a, a Kanji down there as well because yeah, that was my other he, look, one he as looked well. really sloppy uh, in the first half. So yeah, let's get, let's say Harland and and a Kanji too. Harland and a Kanji, the BVB double. Um, I'm afraid to say you only got one out of two there. Uh, um, Harland is correct. The other man for a tap in, former Dortmund player himself, been at City a little bit longer, lowest rated player. Oh, Gundogan, huh? Gundogan, yeah. Gundogan, yeah. Six point two. Gundogan was rated, which you know, when you come, when you sort of counter in the fact that Edison conceded a couple of goals, um, like say Harlan got booked and did nothing. Cancelo got booked and did absolutely nothing. I'm a, I was a little bit surprised by that. He, he wasn't great by any means, but yeah, that shocked me a little bit. Um, right, okay, let's. We'll stick with City because I think it's quite simple who the, the highest rated Brentford player was. We've mentioned him plenty of times, Ivan Tony. So we'll do the comparisons with City players. So starting off then, who rated higher, Manuel Akanji or Imeric Laporte? Adam, what do you reckon? I think Laporte. I've got Laporte higher as well. So yeah, let's go like let's go with that. Yeah. Um Akanji got an assist. Obviously, oh, no. so I don't oh, know if no. that's sort of, <laughs> is that going to sway you? Chance to deal or no deal? Do you want to stick or swap? Is he psyching us out, Adam? Or no? I, th- I let's stick with Laporte. Sticking with Laporte, and you were right to do Ooh, so. Yeah, zero point four is in it surprisingly, despite that. Um, despite that assist for Kanji. Just quickly, that Laporte sliding block. Sort of, I, I don't even know what minute it was on, but. Chef's kiss, it was mm-hmm. superb. And it's mm. a shame it didn't sort of lead to City picking up some points. But hey ho. Um right, okay, last couple then. Rodri versus Bernardo Silva. I've got Bernardo higher. I think Bernardo yeah. started pretty like really badly, actually. He did start really badly, but just about the time where he flicked the ball onto Rico Henry's arm in the box, I might add. Um you know, he just sparked into life and started giving a giving a few people to run around every now and again. So yeah, I yeah. reckon Bernardo. Let's go with Bernardo. Bernardo higher. Yeah. Well, Bernardo Silva, as Footmob is telling me, created the most chances in the match 
and also completed the most dribbles in the match with three each. However, it isn't enough to score him higher than Rodri, who completed the most passes in the match and had the most tackles. Point one is in it. Bernardo Silva, 7.7. Rodri, 7.8. So another poor showing. In I this can't come on this Monday like, show anymore, honestly. <laughs> you, you're going to get sacked, well. Adam. Yeah, yeah. You're, gonna, you're, you're both going to be out the door faster than, I don't well, uh, Watford have managed to go two weeks without sacking a manager. So maybe that's not the best analogy. But um, boys, we'll, we'll call it a day there. Charlie, thank you for for bringing your wisdom once again. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll all be flocking to you for our our pre World Cup betting slips. But yeah, that was fun. Thank you for making me feel a little bit better about it. That's all right. Thanks very much for having me. I'll, I'll hope to be back on after the World Cup. Indeed. Um, quickly, then, any World Cup predictions from you before before we let you go? Um, I'm not optimistic about England. I think maybe. Early, early on in the knockouts is when England are going to crash mm. out. I'd love to be more optimistic, but that's how I feel. And uh, in terms of a, a winner, I'm feeling a, feeling Argentina. I think they're on Ooh, that crazy like that. run. They're on that crazy yeah. run where they've not lost in ages. And you look at who they've beaten on that run as well, like Uruguay, loads of times, Brazil, a couple of times. So yeah, I think they're they're a shout that not many people are talking about. So yeah, I'll go with them. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice uh, if it's not to be England. Um, Adam, we'll be back every day this week um, towards the end of the week. A little bit of World Cup stuff, but yeah, that was that was a nice little bit of therapy, I'll say. Yeah, it was. Uh, I got a little hot and heavy with my rants, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> it, it felt good to get some of it off my shoulders. Yeah, the people of Twitter can be uh, can be sleeping well tonight, knowing that Adam Book has let it all out. Um, right, okay, that'll do for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Not quite sure what we'll speak about tomorrow. We'll, we'll have a discussion and we'll be uh, we'll be back with a talking point. Maybe we'll leave the Brentford game behind to, to sort of stop unearthing any more trauma. But yeah, until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. 